Today's message is practical lessons, intense times. But before I go into the text, I want us just stand up for a moment. Nathan, why are you making us stand for? We've just sat. I know. I'm sorry. Ish. But I want us to just put our hands together in a moment for all of the people who are ministry, who are doing ministry, who are ministering, but we don't necessarily see them. Those are the ones who are in the backgrounds, like the, like the AV team. The only time the AV team get attention is when something goes wrong and everyone turns around. But they are working tirelessly with some difficult technology sometimes. Um, and they're working hard, so we want to acknowledge them. We want to acknowledge those who work on the food bank. We want to acknowledge those who clean, those who visit. All those who don't necessarily come on front of camera, front of house, but are working tirelessly to make sure that everything else goes smoothly. So can we just put our hands together and just give them an acknowledgement. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. You may be seated. Thank you for indulging me in that moment. I just feel it's really, you know, sometimes I know that we don't do work for the gratification of others, but sometimes it's important to show our appreciation for people. It's interesting that when we, and I always use this example, but when we are looking at a spouse or we're looking to for, you know, a, a husband or wife, we often write a list of things down. And when it comes to physical things, we might say, you know, I want them to be tall or I want them to be this dress size. I want them to have long hair, I want them to whatever, whatever, whatever. But the most important physical attributes like have a good heart and their lungs work well and we don't focus on, but actually they're the most important things because when things go wrong, those are the things that we focus on. So, you know, the, the ministries that we don't see are often some of the most important and imperative ones um, and thank you thank you thank you so acts six and as i mentioned last week acts five ends on a bit of a high nathan they were beaten yes i know they were beaten i know they were they were flogged i know they were they were attacked but it ends on a high because they counted it good that they were worthy to be beaten for his name so though it's a, a painful thing, it's a high because they are being beaten to the glory of God. Amen? I don't want to be beaten, but if I'm going to be beaten, let it be to the glory of God. They were deserving of the punishment. Let us be deserving. So the first five chapters of the book of Acts looks at the establishment of the church. It's the building of the church. And then chapter six onwards... Um, well, this next section focuses on the ministry work, the expansion of the church. So before I go into the text, let me just say that we are looking a lot at, at the Jews. And when we say Jews, we're talking about the culture, the people group, not just the religion. Sometimes that word can be interchangeable. We have to, bear, we have to put the right context uh, when we read in the scripture. So we are talking about the, the people group rather than the religion. For example, we have Messianic Jews today in, in, in this world. We have Messianic Jews who are Jews who have converted to Christianity. They're from the, the Jewish family, they're from the Jewish lineage, but they recognise Christ as the Messiah, so they are Messianic Jews. So they are still Jews, but they are still Christian. Are you with me? Okay. So we're looking primarily into culture. Now, where we look into the word Jews... We look at where we are as Christians, should I say. We look at, we typically talk about Gentiles and Jews. And Jews are the culture. They are the, the uh, often Christian believers, but they are, they are Jewish. But then we have Gentiles who are not from the Christian faith who then come to faith in Jesus Christ. So we are Gentile, but we are brought into the fellowship nevertheless. But when we talk about Jews, there are typically two types of Jews. You have the Hebrew Jews, those spoke Hebrew but mainly would speak Aramaic. And then you have the Hellenist Jews or the, or the Grecian Jews, uh, those, who, those Jews who spoke Greek. So the, guy, the, the, the Hebrews and those who spoke Aramaic were predominantly um, in Jerusalem and Palestine and that type of area, where the Hellenist Jews were Jews but they were existing outside of the land. 
So Hellenist Jews are Greek speaking. They are away from their land. They are away from their kin. And historically those two groups clashed. And when they became Christians, they brought some of that over into the new covenant. Sometimes we bring the things from the past over into our future when we should be letting it go. But they brought it over and, and we know what it's like. We, we, because of our zeal sometimes, we, 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 <laughs> we act out of our zeal rather than out of our maturity or out of our truth. I remember going to a, a conference once and, uh, of a different denomination, a youth conference. I was not long been saved, and I was like, this is great, I'm going to go to this denominations conference. And we were told that to do a workshop, and we had to go around and introduce ourselves. So I'm shaking hands, where are you from? So I'm from New Testament Church of God. Oh, you guys can't worship properly. I was like, oh, but are you sure? Because, you know, Ian Pitter and conventions, and I'm sure we can worship properly, but I didn't recognize there was this enmity between denominations. I just thought we were church. And you've got a different name, but we're, we're still church. And I think it's changed a lot recently. I think a lot of churches integrate and move. And to be honest with you, I think one of the main reasons is the musicians. Musicians kind of go between church and church. And I think they've helped to break down some of the walls. But we are one church and we have to remember that. I don't care what, what comes before, what, whatever, 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 church, we are the church of God. And that's all that matters. New Testament Church of God isn't better or worse. It's just the New Testament Church of God. So we find in Acts 6, and again, just give you some background, the, the typically in Jewish culture, a woman didn't tend to receive inheritance. So when her husband passed away, she was reliant upon a relative to provide for her. Sometimes if she had a capital that she could invest or she could use, um, she would be okay to a degree, but she didn't receive an inheritance. So there was a reliance to make sure they looked after the widows. And that came over into Christianity. We have a, a mandate to ensure we look after the vulnerable in our society. Now, some of, some of the widows aren't financially vulnerable like they were back then, but we have a duty to look after the vulnerable. The orphans, those who either A, society has pushed aside, or B, need support to survive. We find in the text that the Greek Jews, so not the Hebrew Jews, the Greek Jews noticed that there was a neglect, as was so wonderfully read. There was a neglect. Now, why was there a neglect specifically noticed by the Greek Jews? Maybe the Hebrew widows were being treated fine. This is just conjecture. Maybe they were being treated, they were being served, they were being um, t- taken care of. And why was that? Maybe it's because the apostles were going to one or two churches, giving out the resources and expecting it to spread. But maybe it wasn't. Maybe there was favoritism. There are a lot of maybes. But the importance is this. The Greek Jews raised a criticism. And church, a a constructive criticism coming from the right place is not a problem. If you're criticizing to build up, not to tear down, it's not a problem. However, if you're criticizing, also be prepared to provide a solution. Because if you're just criticizing, it's a different thing altogether. It's a pity party. We're not here to pity party. We're here to build up, strengthen Every time I speak, someone gives me criticism. And sometimes I accept it, it makes sense. Sometimes I disagree. But it's okay because I recognize that majority of the time I believe that the criticism is coming from a genuine place. Don't all form an orderly queue after this message. (laughs) So we don't know why there was neglect upon the Greek Jews. But we do know is that the apostles had a limited amount of time. I don't know about you, but I have 24 hours in a day. I look at some people's lives and sometimes it feels like they've added some extra hours in there. I don't know how they do it. Maybe I'm not as productive as I need to be. I don't know. But the apostles had a limited, a finite amount of time. The beauty of God is that God exists outside of time. 
We said that he exists outside of the krona, so he can be at the beginning, at the end, in the middle, all at the same time. We do not. Tick tock rules our day. And eventually the ticks turn to tucks and the day is done and we've run out of time and we have to put things on tomorrow's to-do list. So the apostles, as anointed as they were, they were still bound by the tick and the tuck. So they wanted to devote themselves to prayer. They wanted to devote themselves to teaching and preaching the word. But they also wanted to devote themselves to caring for those who were in need. And they respond by saying... In fact, when, when the criticism comes, rather than attack back or respond directly, they basically call a church conference. They say there's a problem that's been identified, they bring it before the group and they say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now there's two ways you can take this, well there's multiple ways you can take this, but I would say there's two prominent ways you can take this. Number one is that they view preaching and prayer as more important. And there's levels of truth in the fact that the word of God is paramount. However, I don't believe this is the the point that the apostles are making. What I believe the apostles are saying is, it's not right to give up our calling. This is what we are called to do. And although this stuff is important, this stuff is good, actually it's pulling us away from our primary task. I remember, uh, I don't know whether I got this quote from somewhere else. I saw it on my Facebook a few weeks back, a few months back in my my history. And I was like, is that me or is is that somebody else? And because I don't know who he is, let's just say it's me. If you like it. If you don't like it, we can say it's Reverend Adrian. But the quote says, if you have been called to be a bin man, don't lower yourself and become a king. Because we recognize that king is the ultimate position. But if you've been called to be a bin man, if you've been called to litter pick, if you've been called to do whatever we we may view as a menial task, don't you dare lower yourself by becoming something else other than what you've called for. Even if that is king, if you are if you are called to be a cleaner and you get given the opportunity to be a king and you take the opportunity, you have fallen short. Because what it's what success is is not about the position that you hold, but it's about the proximity you have to your calling. I would love to be in Buckingham Palace. They've got 52 toilets. That's one for every week, praise the Lord. But if I'm out of my calling, what is the point? If I have all the accolades and the escalades and and the, the clothes and the fineries, but I'm out of my calling, what is the point? For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? Because if I'm out of my purpose... I am falling short. And that's partly why when reading this text, I thought I need to give props. I need to give recognition to those who aren't always seen because sometimes this ministry here is seen as something to aspire to. And church, what I say is you don't aspire to anything other than fulfilling your calling. And we've had some battles along the way. We've had some battles with some of our young people. We've had some battles with sometimes new members where they want to jump up on stage. And what we need to understand, and I saw it uh, again, I saw a message, this wasn't me. But it said the way to the pulpit is via the mop and the hoover. Because if you're too good to serve there, you can't serve up here. I love when I go to... to, uh, pastor's inductions and you find out they've been everything they've been cleaner van driver cook because they have put their labor in they have learned what the church is so they can serve it more effectively what is your purpose what is your calling if you're not fulfilling it you are falling short 
I don't care if we've said congratulations, well done, I love it. If it's not your calling, you are falling short. I don't care what awards you've got. I don't want, care what, what uh, recognition you have. You are falling short. So the apostles were doing too much. They're like, we're being pulled away from our primary purpose. Again, what they're doing is good, but it's not right. So the apostles, in their leadership, then place it in the congregation's hands. They don't say, right, we recognize this problem. I am the apostle. I'm going to name one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, go. No, they say, you've recognized the problem. You solve it. Now notice two things here. Number one, the people who brought the problem are given charge to solve it. Why? If it, you, there's a reason why you found the problem. There's a reason why you found the problem. I mentioned the AV team before. Trust me, I've worked back there. If you can hear a buzz, they can hear the buzz. Before you hear the buzz, they've heard the buzz. They're working on it. Why? They're there for a reason because their ears are attuned to solve problems. Working back there has messed up my church experience sometimes because sometimes I sit in church and I'm like, I can hear a buzz. Not that I'm just talking about Harvey's Temple, but I can, I can hear something's not right. I can hear there's going to be feedback. I want to get up and sit back. My Shade puts my, makes me sit back down because I've got to be in church rather than running around. But the, there's a problem that you are there to fix. We go back to, uh, no, we go forward, sorry, into Acts 16. We see uh, the Apostle Paul cast out the demon of the woman. It says, because he was aggravated by it. The only time Paul acted out was when he was agitated by it. So, you know what? I am fed up of this. I'm now going to deal with it. What is agitating you? Is it motivating you to cause a change? Because if it doesn't bother me, I'm not motivated to change it. I may not even recognize it, but there's a reason why you are wired the way that you're wired. And that's to change and make a sustainable change. So he gives it to the people who recognize the problem and, and says, you're the best people to solve it. What else does he do? The apostles give the authority to those people to do it. They didn't just run off on by themselves and say, well, we found a problem. We're just going to get seven people and just go. They came under the headship of the authority. They said, look, we've recognized the problem. And the apostle said, thank you for bringing the problem to us. I now charge you and empower you to go out and solve it yourself. Just because you've got something that's agitating you, don't go renegade. You've got to bring it into alignment and into a structure, into a place. Because the problem is when everybody goes everywhere, you see it in, in things all the time, everyone goes everywhere and things start to be neglected because there is chaos. But God is a God of order. So let's do it in order. And sometimes you, you, get, you may get frustrated because like, but I want to do this, but you don't understand that we'll just six more months because there is a plan in place, which is why we say you've got to bring it in because it feeds into the greater vision and plan. Sometimes patience is a painful thing, but it's incredibly beneficial. Side note, don't pray for patience unless you're ready to uh, be very frustrated. You've got to be careful what you pray for. So he, they put them back in the apostles in the, in the congregation's hand, and the congregation seek out seven people, seven men of good reputation. Now, Putting seven people in charge of an area was actually a Jewish custom. So again, they're falling back into their normal practices, into their cultural practices. But he said, who are of good reputation and they are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So he gives the congregation the power to appoint them so that the apostles can go and give themselves over to continual prayer and ministry of the word. And that's a lot like... Our church and pastor's council. Our church and pastor's council are elected by the congregation to fulfill the work that the ministers don't do. So next time, I don't know when we're going to be voting for the next CPC, but bear that in mind. You are voting for people who are of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And I mean it with the greatest respect in the world because I've done it previously 
You're not voting for the person that you like or for the person who aligns with what you want to see or it's not a political thing. Who do you believe God is showing you is of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. They need to be wise because they are making decisions. They need to be full of the Holy Spirit because those decisions need to, need to go past the physical and into the spiritual. And they need to be good, of good reputation because we do not want to hear, I'm sorry, did you know that Deacon so-and-so is doing this? Because what that does, and we saw it in Nehemiah, if we can't affect the work, we affect the character. So next time, remember. Remember, remember. They've got to fulfill the practical role, but also the spiritual They've brought the people before the apostles and the apostles have set them forward. Again, again, this is whole uh, bringing into the authority in the right place and then so they can be empowered. What's also interesting is that all seven uh, of those who were, who were appointed had Greek names. Why? Because you're going to meet the need of the Greek people who need the problem. There's a reason I'm not in charge of women's ministry. I don't understand women and every man said no um, but I don't understand it I don't understand some of the emotional stuff I don't understand the physiological stuff I am not to be there so what does pastor do pastor appoints a woman to oversee women's ministry it makes sense if you're going to appoint somebody to go outside in the community it needs to be somebody who can interact with the community I feel like I mention this thing every time I come up. I know some people do not like me not three-piece suiting it. But I went through a, a particular point when I was younger. I was standing at the back of church in a shirt. No, in a shirt. <laughs> Sorry. In jeans and a t-shirt. Still a shirt. Just a tee. Um, because I recognised that the people who were coming in through the back door were wearing jeans and t-shirts. And I've seen people come in, look around and go, mm-mm. And back out. So I wanted to make sure because we had, I think we had Brother Courtney, he was sat at the back in a suit, and you had me in jeans and t shirt. So whoever came through the door could see I've got somebody around here who looks a little bit like me. It was intentional. Why? Because we need to understand that people can meet the need of the people they're ministering to. They need to be passionate, that's why they're Greek, because it's affecting their family. They need to understand, they're from the culture, they understand, and they must be able to meet the need. I want to focus on two of the people that were appointed. One, we've got to touch on because it's integral to Acts. It comes in the next chapter. Brother Stephen, who the Bible describes as being full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Full of faith. Full. Not even not, not a man of faith. But he was full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Saturated. And then Nicholas, he was a proselyte, which means that he was a non-Jew culturally. He converted into Judaism, went through all the practices that Judaism requires him to do to fall in line as a Jew. Praise the Lord. Before he converted to Christianity. So he's almost a Gentile that became a Jew before he became Christian. Why is Nicholas important? He can, he can speak to those people who are not in the Jewish faith. He can speak to the Greek people and say, look, I know where you've been. I recognize where you've come from. I was there too, but come see a man. What we see by the, by the selection of the seven is that they chose a range of representation. Because they recognize that that range is going to be able to minister and serve the needs of every congregation member. Our leadership should reflect our congregation. How did the, the apostles respond? Did they just say, right, these have been chosen, that's it, go on, <laughs> get going. No, the apostles prayed and they laid hands. And this is one of the things I love about, uh, about Bishop Reuben. That when he appoints people to a position, we pray for them. It's not just the ministers or the department heads. Or If they come to serve a position, Bishop brings them at the front. 
Especially that, and and even though the maybe servant is part of the body, he will he will. If there's a new team, he will get the leader to come up front and lay hands and pray over them. Now, the praying and the laying of hands—it's not tarrying service. It's not to kind of be them filled with the Holy Spirit. And one, it's tradition. This is what happened. This is what kings would do to pass when they were passing down their authority. So they would lay hands and say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm. we see when, when someone's knighted, it's a passing of, a symbolic passing of authority. You've come before me, I am now giving you charge and authority to go. Again, I've said it many a time, when you get arrested, don't get arrested, but if you get arrested or you get pulled over, you're, you're, you're done in the name of, it's now the king, because the police have the authority based upon the crown. If I'm a policeman, it's not PC Nathan that arrests you. It's King Charles III's authority that allows me to do so because it's the authority that is passed down. It's not Tarian service because they are already filled. And this just emphasizes again that the ministry isn't just something that you can just do. It's not just serving tables, it's serving tables, it's a ministry. Ministry isn't a hobby. It's not something I can just, what have I got time for? It's not, it's not a right. I've come to church. I've said the prayer. Therefore, I should give, what am I going to be involved in? No, it's not, ministry is not a right. It's not a bit of fun. It's not a spectacle. It's not a reward for being in, in prayer meeting. Ministry is ministry. Front, back, on stage, hidden, in the walls, out the walls, ministry is ministry. Whether it looks like what we've always seen or whether it looks like something new, ministry is ministry. There's no high ministry, there's no low ministry, there's no good, bad ministry. Ministry is ministry. Yes, some roles require a higher skill. Yes, there is a sometimes a higher threshold because of the, the, the uh, position that is held. But there is a basic threshold that everybody who is ministering must uphold. And church, unpopular opinion as it may be, if you, do not, if you do not hold these basic thresholds, you are not ministering, you are just doing something. You are doing an action. The difference between singing and worship team is the basic threshold and the intentionality. There are some people I could bring in here who could, who could hit some notes. And church, if I'm honest, they'd hit some notes. Some, some, we'd get some heathen people in here to hit some notes. And church, some of y'all will be... Because the note sounds good and it, it, oh, the music is great. But if they're not fulfilling the basic threshold and it's not for the, the genuine intention of glorifying his name, it's just singing. They might have won X Factor, but it's just singing. And that's why sometimes you get people who sing and you know what? Vocally, they're not great. But the ministry is pouring out of them. The ministry is pouring out of them. So ministry is ministry. It's an important thing. They are appointed to serve. Every piece of ministry is servitude. Every piece of ministry is servitude. Every ministry is sacrifice. The English root word for serve is deacon, which is why we have, our CPC are often called deacons, because it's about serving. It finds the same word. But what's interesting is, that, again, as I said, we have the same process for appointing these deacons, but in Acts 6, they're not called deacons. They don't have a title, they just have a mission. And church, all you need is a mission. All you need is a mission. If you're waiting for a title, you've got it wrong. You've got it wrong. Ministry is ministry. Title, no title. Sometimes church, titles get in the way. I remember being a youth leader and the conversation was brought up about me doing my license and I was like, nope. Nope. I'm happy to serve. But once you get the title, there is an expectation and there is a, a 
not accountable because you're accountable anyway, but there is, there is a, there's an expectation you will have to do stuff. At the moment, I like doing it because I choose to do it. But when you put that little three letters or whatever it is before it, there is an expectation that you then will dress a certain way, that you will speak a certain way, that you will do certain things, that you will conform to an image. And I didn't, didn't want it. Didn't want it. And I fought high and low, and I would not have done it had it not been for Bishop Willis. It's pretty much final final act in the church conference. Because I didn't want it. I did not want it. Because for me, titles can be restrictive. Sometimes they can open doors. But sometimes they can be very, very restrictive. And that's why you'll notice, church, you'll notice, church, that there is never an expectation for me to receive a title. When I talk to you, whether you call me Nathan, whether you call me Reverend Nathan, whether you call me Brother Nathan, whether you call, does not bother me. As long as you can say nice things, generally. <laughs> Doesn't bother me. Because my ministry is not governed by my title. And if you find somebody whose ministry is governed by their title, stay clear. Stay clear. My view of ministry is this. Before we get a title, we should be walking in that title anyway. Before you get called a worship leader, you should be playing, you should be singing, you should be glorifying God through every aspect of your life in worship before you get the title. Why? Because before you can lead worship, you need to be able to worship and lead yourself. People want to teach, but they don't, they don't read, they don't study, they, don't, they, they can't teach themselves, but yet they want to come and do so. However, church, I tell you what's really interesting. I never hear anybody say, but they don't give me the chance to clean. Because the focus is wrong. The focus is wrong. So church, ministry is ministry. So verse 7 says that the word of God spread and the disciples multiplied greatly. I love hearing that word. I love hearing that phrase. The word of God spread because it's in me and I've shared it out. And you've got the word and you're sharing it out. I remember doing, um, speaking at Telford Church. And it was something rudimentary. I, haven't, I should have wrote this down in my notes. It was something rudimentary like if you take, if you disciple seven people for a year and they disciple seven people the following year and they disciple seven people, it was something like in 10 years, you're looking at millions of people. Because it's the law of small compounds. You do your job really well. And get them to do the same thing and it will grow and it will grow and it will grow. Verse 7 said that a great many priests who were and became obedient to the faith. So they're not just saving those and, and, and evangelizing to those who are attending. But we're talking about getting to the leaders of that group. We're talking about going to the, the rabbis. We're talking about going to the imams. We're talking about going to the British priests. And they being converted. Why? Because the word of God spreads and disciples are multiplied. But Stephen and the, the, the others, the other deacons will call them, will work walking and ministering in their purpose. When we I said last week, when we step into our purpose and we go where we're supposed to be, change will happen. It's inevitable. And church, sometimes the reason things aren't happening is because we ourselves are a blockage. But it's always easier to look that way than it is to look this way. The Bible says in verse 8 that Stephen was serving and he was doing a great job. And he was, he was doing great signs and wonders amongst people. And it was a powerful witness. It was a powerful witness to how great Stephen was? No. It was a powerful witness to how great God is. Every ministry should point to Jesus. It's, it, I, love, I love how selfless the Trinity is because the Spirit always points to Jesus. Jesus always points to the Father. There is this constant pointing up the chain. 
So when you look at me, hopefully you see the Holy Spirit and you see Jesus and you see the Father because that is ministry. So Stephen was serving, he was doing some great things. These seven men were not only serving in the community, but they would have been preaching and serving in the temples. And we've already seen what happens when you preach in the temples. It rubs people the wrong way. Verse 10 says, But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he, Stephen, was speaking. Stephen was just moving in his element. He was serving, he was ministering, he was moving. And this is why, again, deacons need to be filled with wisdom because it got to the point where they couldn't deal with what he was saying. He was serving to the max. This is an important thing to think about before we come on to the next part is that because the Jews were separate from the location, these, these Greek Jews were separate from the location, they had a real affinity to the temple. There was a, because it represented a special connection with back home. Church, I would say that God is great and Jesus is wonderful, but part of the reason the church plays an important part with the black community is because it reminds people of back home. There is a place where it just feels a little bit familiar. I'll also put it to you, and then move swiftly on, that maybe that's why we try to hold on to certain things, because it reminds us of back home, it makes us feel comfortable. I mean. So what happens is they move from, they're speaking to the Greeks, they're preaching, it's moved from discussion to debate, and when they can't beat them, it moves to slander. And again, church, this isn't a pity party, but I've been there where people are downright slandering because they can't beat you upon scripture and truth. We saw in Nehemiah, I can't get to what you're saying. I can't cast down what you're doing. So I'm going to cast down your reputation. And church, I'm so grateful that some of these things happened when I was at a slightly maturer place in my life. Because there were certain people who were slandering me. And I'm like, do you know the information that I, I hold on you? Because, because you gave me that information. And I could now just destroy you. But what would it have done? It would have undermined my ability as a leader. It would undermine my ability for people to trust me. So though my name was getting battered, I had to just firm it. I had to just suck it up and take it. Because I'm a big boy. So it hurts. It hurts. And there are times where I wanted to just, but I had to just, just hold my peace. Just hold my peace. And if I'm honest, church, if I'd have opened up, I'd have felt good, you know. I'm not going to lie, I'd have felt good at the time. I know I would have regretted it eventually, but that, that, a bit like sin, that instant gratification would have been so sweet. And I'm telling you, not to be bossy, but I could have destroyed them better than they were destroying me. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But I had to just hold it down and let it pass. Church, when you're hearing rumors, when you're hearing people cussing people, just remember there are three sides to every story. A, B, and normally somewhere in the middle, there's the truth. And if B is not saying something, recognize that normally there's something a little bit deeper. And the Reverend Dave Jasanya calls this uh, sanctified gossiping. I see it again in church where people go, have you heard about so-and-so? Oh, this blah, 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 blah. We're praying for them. No. You're chatting them and you're wrapping it in prayer so it looks righteous. Sometimes, and this is what happens. You know what, church? This is, this is in my notes, but let me say this anyway. When there is a wildfire... What they do is they remove part of the trees, they remove part of the wood, part of the bush, so the fire stops. Church, we need to be a place where gossip enters our ears and the gossip stops. Sometimes we rebuttal, sometimes we just lock it off and it goes no further. Because if it's not going to build somebody up, then why are we chatting anyway? So the Bible says that they stirred people up 
And church, we see people getting stirred up sometimes. Just stirred up. It's quite easy to stir people up. You look at TV, you look at all the riots, it's quite easy to just stir people up. You say, you say a few of the right things. Sometimes they don't even make sense. But because it hits us where we want to hit, we're going to get stirred up and we're going to go on with whatever foolishness we want to do. The Bible says as well that they've installed false witnesses. So not only am I lying about you, but I'm getting other people who weren't even there to lie to. Check your sources. Just because A, B and C said does not necessarily mean that it is true. They say that Stephen does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. Remember, blasphemy was pretty much the number one sin for them. They say that Jesus will destroy this place and he will change their customs. He'll change their words. He'll change their, what they've done previously. Church, I put it to you that, that that is exactly their problem. Their problem is that they've placed their faith in people and places. Because we need to be rooted in God. So if, if Harvest Temple gets destroyed, it's fine. It's not fine. Don't destroy it. But it's fine. Because my faith in God is not rooted in 173 Wensfield Road. It's rooted in Jesus. It's not rooted in the New Testament Church of God. It's not rooted in Church of God, Tennessee. It's not rooted in Baptist. It's, not, it's rooted in Jesus Christ. Part of their problem is they saw it as a destruction of their faith. When actual fact, it was an enhancement. It was a revolution of their faith. Sometimes we hold on to things that have served us so well. And it's got us here. Candles were a great invention. They were wonderful, church. But candles in the library just seems a little bit dangerous. Praise God for electricity. We've moved on. There are things that have served us well, and there are times we have to let go. And we don't like to. Church, when it comes to, I don't mind heights. I'm fine with heights. I have a problem with edges. So I can abseil down something, but that moment where I have to lean back and go over the edge, I don't like it. I don't like it. And they say that a cord can hold you know, a double-decker bus. Congratulations, but how many Nathans can it hold? Because I just don't trust it. But there comes a part where, you know what, gravity has served me really well standing here, but I'm going to have to lean back and rely upon this rope, which doesn't look very, I know you're telling me it's strong, but it doesn't look very strong. And I have to let go of what I know and what I believe and what is normal to me to move into a different position. And church, I love our hymns. I love some of our churchness. But if I picked you up and dropped you in Nepal, your faith should be able to continue. Different traditions, different songs. But your faith should be continued because you are not reliant upon the traditions you rely upon. Jesus Christ. If I drop you in outer Mongolia, you should be fine because you are not consumed by what you've done before, but you are consumed by our Lord and Savior. Your faith shall remain. Your faith shall remain. He is not the God let me take some water for this one, Carl. He is not the God of your hymns or your hats or your traditions. He is the author and finisher of your faith. So if you get picked up and thrown to Mars, Jesus is Lord and we will serve him in whatever way we can serve him in Mars. Do not let your tradition become a shackle. So what do they do? Because they're stirred up and they're angry and they're vexed, they attack Stephen. But when they look upon him, the Bible says, they saw that he had the face of an angel. Isn't it fitting that I'm standing up before you today? You can see the face. 
Maybe the angels that have a hundred eyes, maybe it's that kind of face I've got, I don't know. But they saw the reflection of God. They saw the reflection of God's divinity. They saw a reflection of his grace and his power. And all that came from Stephen being obedient. So they wanted to kill him. They looked upon his face. They saw the face of an angel. And then chapter 7 will touch on next year. I don't want to drive into it and take away the next sermon. But all this came about from him being obedient. Do what you do to 100%. Do what you do to 100%. If you're picking up litter, you pick up that litter to the glory of God. If you are hoovering, you hoover the carpet to the glory of God. I love watching Brother Brown hoover because it's a ministry for him. It's ministry. I'm like, Brother Brown, let me have a go. No, 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 no. Because he wants to do it. I'm like, but Brother, come, no. All right, Brother Brown, you're bigger than me. It's all right. But do it to the glory of God. Of God. If you're singing, you sing 100% to the glory of God. If you're playing, you play to the music, to the instrument breaks, to the glory of God. AV, you AV to the glory of God. You usher to the glory of God. You food bank to the glory of God. I don't care if you're tired or you're miserable or you're not having a good day, you do it unto God in excellence. Church, if we move to a position where we're supposed to be, number one, we come under the authority of our leadership, number two, and we do things in excellence, not what energy I can spare, not what time I can spare, not what finances I can spare, not what makes me feel good. If we do it from the, from the depths of our toes, then church, we're going to have a massive problem because we're going to have to open a bigger entrance to get people in. We're going to have to worry about how many services can we fit in today because we've got a problem where we're going to see everybody. Why? Because people are in their position, they are aligned, and they are ministering to the glory of God in the way that they're supposed to do it. If God's called you to preach, don't preach like me. Don't preach like Bishop. Don't preach like Phil. Don't preach like Reverend Ashana. Don't preach like Reverend Veronica. Preach how you have been called to preach. Because there's already too much of me. God has called you for a reason. If not, he'd have cloned me and called me twice. Do you, for whatever reason, God has put his mark upon you for such a time as this. Don't you dare lower yourself and be somebody else. God does not make mistakes. You were perfectly and wonderfully made the way that you are. Your quirks are perfectly made to the glory of God just the way you are. Some of the things that you do are made perfectly for the way that you are to the glory of God that you are. Your experiences have brought you this far for such a time as this to do what only you can do. So church, are you serving? Are you serving right? Are you serving in the right place? Are you allowing things externally to stop you? Have you seen God's face? And are you reflecting God? Do you need to let go of some of the things that have served you well thus far, but are now holding you back? Church, let us stand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For those who do not know the Lord, I'm going to give the opportunity for you to come forward and we will pray with you. If you need to see God's face for the first time, if you need to reflect the glory of God for the first time, then come forward and we will pray with you. If you've been serving and you're, you feel that you need to do something different, because church, sometimes we serve for a season. I was youth director for a season because that was the time that I was 
called for. I was a youth leader for a season because that was the time I was called for. But sometimes we have to let go of positions. Because if you don't, and as, as, as bad as it sounds, if you don't remove that rotten piece of fruit because it served its time, it rots the whole bowl. Is it time for you to move out of position into serving something new? Church, remember this. Your ministry does not define who you are. You are a child of God. That is your definition. And if you want to serve, but you're not sure what that is, come forward and we will pray with you. So what we'll do, we'll do this and I'll, get, I'll, I'll place it out. If people want to come forward, we'll pray and that's great. If not, the word's gone forth. So if you want salvation, you want to ex- experience God for the first time, come and stand in the center. If you've been serving for a while and you, you want to know what's next, come and stand to my right where the drums are. And if you want to serve, you've been in church, maybe you're a new member, maybe you've been in church for a while and you don't know what area you're called to serve in, come and stand over here and we will pray for you. This prayer won't be long. Going once. Going twice. Sold. Lord Father God, you are great and you are wonderful. Hallelujah. You are mighty. You are mighty in battle. You are mighty in the quiet times of our lives. Hallelujah. And Lord, for those of us who don't know your love, who haven't experienced your grace and mercy, allow us to receive you, Lord. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, chase us down and show us the goodness of God, Lord God. Because it is your goodness that leads us to repentance, Lord God. For those of us who have been sat in a situation or a position and the time is up, allow them to realize, Lord God. Allow them to be comfortable with that. Allow them not to be scared about what the future may hold. Hallelujah. Allow them to be supportive of whoever comes after them. Allow them to recognize that they are yours, Lord God, and they are a valued member of this congregation, whether they hold a role, a position, or not, Lord. And for those who are not currently serving, but don't know what to do, hallelujah. Lord, give them over to prayer. Allow them to fulfill the basic thresholds of ministry. That they love you, that they serve you, that they want to glorify your name, that their servitude is all about you, Lord God. And then put them around people, hallelujah, who can discern. Put them around people who can give them opportunities, Lord. Allow them to have the chance and the boldness to step out and try something that they feel a lure to, but don't know what it's about. Give them the boldness, Lord God. Give them the the support. Give them the knowledge. Give them the equipment. Give them whatever resource it is, Lord God, that they're able to be successful in that ministry. So it brings glory to your mighty name. Lord, whether we are standing in church, whether we are standing in our workplaces, whether we are standing in our marketplaces, Lord God, whether we are standing in our family or friends' homes, allow us to be servants for you. Let us serve you at 100%. And when we're weak and we're tired, allow us to serve at 100%.